Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's going on here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media, so be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the message. You know, our last series, we talked about how God is uh, able to take everything that happens in our life and make those things work out for our good and his glory. We based the last series on Romans 8, 28, where the Bible says, and we know, we know that all things work together for good. And we talked about how all things aren't good, but how God can work all things together for good to those who love him and those who are called to his purpose. Now, I believe that. In fact, I believe that so strongly that I think everything you guys are going through that I'm going through in my life are things that God can use if we'll allow him He can use those things ultimately to work out for us. And so it's a matter of trying to connect the dots. It's a matter of realizing God has a plan. And everything that happens in my life, good, bad, happy, sad, positive, negative, all those things God can use. In fact, I believe he's using things today to prepare me, to prepare you for life at the next level. The word prepare is an interesting word. I don't know how many of you ever worked with a paring knife, right? where you take the fruit and you cut it, you carve it. Some of you are very creative in how you use the paring knife, but you use the paring knife to cut, to carve, to create, and when you prepare, you are cutting, carving, creating something that you're not going to use in the moment. You're preparing, you're getting something ready for future use. So when we talk about being prepared, that means we're being cut, carved, God's being creative in our life today for something that he's going to ultimately use at another day. He's preparing me now for life at the next level. And so this series that we're in now is called Sculpted. It actually, I think, may help us connect some of the dots for Romans 8.28 to begin to comprehend and understand how God uses everything in our lives. He uses trouble. By the way, he uses problems. And who among us doesn't have problems? How many on this Sunday morning or watching online would play along and say, I got at least one problem. I'm not afraid to admit it. I got one. Come on, you're in church, don't lie. How many of you have at least one problem? How many of you are sitting by one of those problems right now? Right? That's what I thought. We all have them. Everybody has them. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. How many of you are going through an experience and maybe a season in your life right now that you might describe it as the best of times and the worst of times at the very same time? That can happen. You probably can think about things in your life right now that would make you laugh and smile and have joy. And you can think about things conversely in your life right now that might bring you some sorrow and tears and heartache. And that, I think, are the things life is made of. It's some of those things God uses to kind of keep us balanced, the good with the bad. All things work together. And so this morning, we're gonna talk about how we are a work in progress. God is doing something in your life and in my life. We may not fully understand it. We may not completely have wrapped our heads around it, but we are a work in progress. God is doing something in our life right now to prepare us for life at the next level. In fact, look with me at our uh, verses that we're using for our, the basis of this series. It's in Romans 8, 29 and 30. Notice here it says, for those God foreknew, Now, we talked about foreknowledge last week. It's the idea that God is sovereign, 
that he knows everything. The Greek word is prognokos, which is the idea of knowing something ahead of time. We get our English word prognosis from that same word. It's the idea that God being sovereign knows ahead of time things that will happen or won't happen. In fact, when we understand foreknowledge of God, how God can uh, uh, know ahead of time what I will do or what I will not do, then you understand the second part of this that we're gonna talk a little bit about this morning, which is the predestination of God. Those whom God foreknow, foreknew, he also predestined or predetermined. Based upon what God knows I will or won't do, he then predetermines certain events that will happen in my life. Based upon what God knows about you and what you will do or won't do, he will predetermine certain things that will happen in your life. Now let me tell you what I don't think that means. I don't think that means that God has predetermined that there are certain people that will go to heaven and he has predetermined that certain others will go to hell. I don't think that's predetermination of God. God knows who will go, he's foreknowledge. He knows who will receive him and don't. And based on that, he predetermines certain events, but it's based upon his foreknowledge. Predetermination, predestination doesn't mean, again, God has predestined, predetermined, certain people will go to heaven and others go to hell. In fact, listen to this verse, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Get this phrase, who will, what is the will of God? Here it is, who will have all men to be saved? What's the will of God for every single solitary person in the world who has ever lived from the time of Adam or who will ever live till he returns one day? It is the will of God for every person to know Jesus. In fact, he goes on to say in that very same narrative in 1 Timothy 2, he says, Jesus gave himself a ransom for all, for everyone. In fact, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Bible says that God is long-suffering to usward, meaning it takes a lot to make him mad. He's long-suffering. And then it says he's not willing. Here again is the will of God. Not willing that any, he didn't say many, that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In fact, I think that's a, a beautiful verse. Listen to this verse, Matthew chapter 23, verse 37. Remember the prayer of Jesus over Jerusalem? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, he said, how often would I have gathered you under my wings as a hen doth gather her brood? And then he said, get this phrase, but you would not. He didn't say you could not. He said you wouldn't. He said, it was my will that I could gather you under my wings like a hen taking care of her young. But he said, you would not. Another verse 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, and Jesus is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. I say that because that understanding drives really the philosophical bent of our church. I believe as a pastor, it is the will of God for every solitary person in the world to know Jesus. I don't think it's the will of God that any should perish, but that all should come into repentance. So it drives all that we do. It is the underpinning of all that we do as a church. And I had a good mentor in this. Adrian Rogers, who's in heaven today, was my pastor and mentor. And I'm just suggesting to your heart this morning that it is significant that we of a church understand it is God's will that everyone, that all people know Jesus. So... What is meant by this predeterminative will of God? What is meant by predetermination? Well, the Bible answers itself right here. Those whom God foreknew, 
He predestined to do what? To be conformed into the image of his son. Here's what I know. The minute you choose to receive Jesus as your savior, God begins a process, you are a work in progress, and he begins this work of conforming us into the image of his son. Meaning it is his desire that his kids look like him. <laughs> you ever have one of your kids and you try to figure out who they look like? <laughs> they look like your grandpa, I think, a little bit. Act like your, kind of act like your mama, but they look like your grandpa. I mean, you start acting, you, know, you start looking. Well, it's the will of God that all of his kids look like him. But it's a process, right? Because he's doing something in our lives to conform us into the image of his son. Now, let me bring this home practically uh, in the book of Philippians. If you have it, look there. Philippians chapter 2. Let me just use this as a practical illustration of how this works. Philippians chapter 2, Paul writing to the church at Philippi says, continue. You're doing a good job. Continue to work out your salvation. Now, let me stop again and explain this. We do not work in order to be saved. We work because we have been saved. It is not faith plus works, because exercising my choice isn't a work, it's a response. So it is not our works, it is not by works of righteousness, the Bible says, which he has, what we have done, but by his grace that he has saved us. So it's not my work, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of, yourse not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Well, if it's a gift, what do you have to do to receive a gift? You reach out and you take it, right? It's not work, it's a response. So it is the gift of God, and so I'm suggesting to you that this idea of coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ doesn't involve works. In fact, I would give it to you this way. We're not saved by faith and works, we're saved by a faith that works. You get that? In other words, if you genuinely have Jesus in your heart, eventually it'll be evident in your life. <laughs> if he's in your heart, eventually he'll be evident in your mouth. Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, or what's in the well tends to come up in the bucket. So I'm suggesting to you now, if Jesus is in your heart, you will eventually speak of him. You'll eventually live like him. And so this reality of God in my life means that I am beginning now a process of working out what he has worked in. Look at it. With fear and trembling, for it is God who works, note now, in you, in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And can I remind you, everyone in this room has purpose. You're not an accident, you're an incident. God had you with a plan in mind. That's why you can emulate, you can look up to, you can have mentors in life as I have, you can have people that are heroes in your life, but be careful trying to be them. Be careful trying to morph into them. God creates originals, he doesn't create copies. No one has your DNA, no one has your fingerprint, nobody can do you better than you do you. <laughs> so just be the best you you can be because God created you to be you. He created you with a purpose in mind. And here's what I found in my life, as long as I am fulfilling my purpose, God will give me time to do that. Remember Ecclesiastes three, verse one, to everything there is a season, and a time for what? For every purpose under heaven. Time to live, time to die, goes on to say. What am I saying? I'm saying when I find purpose, and I'm doing his will and fulfilling my purpose, God will give me time. You say, how do I know when my time is up? You'll know the moment your purpose is finished. And the minute your purpose is finished, your time is up, and you, by the way, you'll be the first to know it. <laughs> and whoever's right next to you will be the second to know it. <laughs> it's called death. 
And you'll have that experience where you're absent from the body, present with the Lord, where you say good night down here to say good morning up there. You'll step from the temporal into the eternal. And there's so many other ways the Bible puts it. But the point is, until your purpose is done, your time is going on. Your time is here. God gives you time to live to fulfill purpose. So Paul is exhorting the church at Philippi, keep doing what you're doing. Keep working out what God has worked in because he's fulfilling his purpose through your life. Three thoughts and we'll go to the house. No, we're gonna ordain Dallas in three thoughts, right? So in three thoughts, let me give this to you. Number one, we see his work in me. His work in me. God always, listen, God always begins from within. When God's gonna do something significant in my life or your life, it always begins in the heart. Think about how salvation is affected. Think about how the connection to the creator happens. It happens in the heart. It happens in my heart. The Bible says, with the heart man believes, in Romans 10, nine and 10. Now what is the heart? He's referring to more than the muscle in your chest pumping blood. You know what he's referring to when he talks about the heart? The same thing you're referring to when you say to someone, I love you with all my heart, right? What are you saying to that someone? You're saying with everything I am, I love all that you are. I cannot possibly put it in better words than to say, everything I am loves you, my heart. I've given you my heart. You can't give someone more than than your heart. And if they don't have your heart, they don't have you. And so when Jesus reaches out to us and asks us to respond to him and he makes that connection with the creator, it happens in my heart. What then is the heart? Well, the heart is my intellect. It's my mind. Isaiah said, come now, let's reason together. There's something about reasoning, the intellect. You don't check your mind in the car and let somebody go into a building and think for you. (laughs) You think for yourself. And it involves my intellect. It involves my ability to reason Reason is the, uh, the, the way in which I handle or, or make decisions concerning my intellect. I reason this thing out. And then the third part of that is my choice. I have choice. Based on my intellect, based upon my reason, I then make a choice. So all of that has to do with how I make decisions in my life. So all these things I'm pondering uh, in my heart because that's going to drive my decisions. And so when God begins to work, he, 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 he challenges your intellect. When he begins to work in your life, you are debating it, you are reasoning with the things that you're trying to understand and comprehend about him. And all of that is going to drive your choice. Now you may choose to reject, say I don't believe any of that. Or you may choose to receive him. But that's your choice, that's part of your, that's part of your heart. So God works from within. It's interesting when Titus in Titus 3.5 talks about this, he refers to the work of God, he uses this word, he calls it regeneration. It's an interesting word. Um, we have a lot of uh, uh, medical breakthroughs in the, in the field of genetics, and, and, and it's a fascinating uh, field, and it's incredible to see all that's being done medically in the field of genetics. But when the Bible talks about the connection to the recreator, he says you're regened, re- regened. I mean, you got some bad genes. <laughs> we all came from a crooked farmer named Adam and a drunk sailor named Noah. <laughs> so we have within us this propensity to do some stupid stuff. And so I'm suggesting that when you connect with the creator, he regenerates, he regenes. You now have within you a power greater than what you had before. You have a new nature along with the old nature. You have been regenerated because God does his work from within. Now, this is important in religious circles because we get it just the opposite in, in religion. 
Religion thinks you're made righteous by what you do, not by what you believe. And I believe this morning, everything I do stems from what I believe. I'll give it to you another way. Uh, Religion will say it's the following of the rituals, you keep the rules, you do the right things, and it results in being right before God. So my doing is more important than my, my being. So I have to do, instead of understanding who I am, I just try to do certain things to somehow curry favor with God. It's just the opposite way. The Bible says that there's nothing we can do to curry favor with God. Isaiah said all of the righteous deeds that we could do are just filthy rags in the sight of God. You, you can't, I can't do enough in order to merit salvation. It, it, it all begins with who I am and that who I am determines what I do. Now doing's important, but it doesn't precede it, it follows it. When, when Jesus was telling the man who was uh, lame on the mat, he said to the man, he said, rise, take up your bed and walk. He didn't say, walk, take up your bed and rise. (laughs) Because until the man had something happen within him, nothing he could do on the outside would change his condition. Uh, Let me color it a little more. In Ephesians chapter one, verse one, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, refers to the people in the church, get this, as saints. Have you ever considered when you're connected to your creator, you're a saint? We look in the Bible, you see Saint Matthew, Saint Mark, Saint Luke, Saint John. Have you ever thought of yourself as being a saint? A saint? Now, I think there are only two classes of people, right? You ready for this? They're the saints and the ain'ts. <laughs> you either are or you aren't. And so I'm suggesting to you that when you connect with the creator, you're just as much a saint as Matthew or Mark or Luke. Look, the best anyone will ever be are sinners saved by grace. That's all the guys in the Bible were. Don't make them out to be superheroes. They weren't. They struggled. They cussed. They did all kinds of stuff. Few of them got drunk. Some of them walked away from the, recanted their faith. They're just, I told you before, man, you're just a saved sinner. (laughs) If you knew how to roll a joint before you met Jesus, you still know how to roll a joint. (laughs) The oxygen went out of the room right there. (laughs) But let's just don't get so pious about this thing. You didn't get the men in black little mind sweep when you received Jesus. You still know how to do all that stuff. You just have to understand who you are will determine what you do. But if you're in Christ, you're a new creation, right? So Paul said concerning the saints in Ephesians 1.1, he said, you're saints, you're saints. And then he said, and boy, this is good theology, it is good psychology. He said, you have been accepted in the beloved. You know why some people are ineffective? Because they've never come to terms with the fact, number one, they have been accepted by God. They go through life out of kelter, out of step, off balance, could I even say neurotic? Because they've never come to terms with the fact, I've been accepted by God. And some of you guys, you've made a connection with your creator a long time ago, you believe in God, you've actually, but you're you're not cool with him because you've never come to terms with the fact that you're accepted. You say, man, if I could just do this, or if I could just get my act together, you're accepted by God. If I could just figure this out, if I could just straighten up, if I could quit this habit, if I could, you're accepted by God. I don't care what, just forget what your mind is clouded with and the confusion that you get into when you talk and think about this, understand this. When you've connected with your creator, you are accepted by God. 
Romans 5, 8 says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You're accepted. Number two, you need to accept that acceptance. Some of you need to accept your acceptance. Have you ever accepted the fact you've been accepted? Have you ever come to terms with the fact, say, God, you've accepted me and I accept your acceptance of me? Third thing, I told you it's good theology and good psychology. Accepted by God, accept the acceptance. Number three, accept yourself. I told you a minute ago, God doesn't make duplicates, he makes originals. Accept yourself. You say, oh, if I could just do this or do that or do the other thing, get, get, done, get that out of your head. Nobody can do what you do the way you do it. You are unique, you're an amazing creation of God. In the 133rd Psalm, he said, you are fearfully, wonderfully made. God made you and went, man, that's a good one right there. He, he, he's never looked down from heaven and discovered you and scratched his head and said, I don't know what I'm gonna do with that one. Where'd you come from? <laughs> no. I told you a while back, every house has a junk drawer. You have a junk drawer? We call it a junk drawer. It's that drawer in your house where you have things that you're afraid to throw away because they look important. You know what I'm saying? That little part, the gizmo, the gadget, the thingamajig. You go, man, that looks important, it looks expensive. It plugs into something, I just don't know what. I mean, it's got a purpose and a function, there's a wire coming out of there, and sure as I throw that thing away, something's gonna break down in the house, the chimney's gonna fall because I didn't have that in the right, you know, you have these crazy thoughts. I, right now, I could take you to my house, pull out the junk drawer, and I'll show you things in there. I don't have a clue what they do. I could not, I couldn't begin, but are they there? They'll be there till Jesus comes because I am afraid to throw them away. <laughs> I don't know what to do with them. Shoot, I ain't throwing them out. You crazy? One of them may work a pacemaker. I may need that one day. <laughs> but can I tell you, God doesn't have junk drawers. He, he, you're not in his junk drawer where he's trying to scratch his head and figure out what he's gonna do with you. You're unique, you're, you're incredible, you're, you're amazing, and there's no one that can do what you do. So I'm saying, accept yourself. Accept yourself. You know what will happen when you do that? When I accept his acceptance of me and I accept myself, here's what happens to me. It frees me up to accept you. You know why some people are so socially awkward they just can't have their relationships in their life? And they, it's because they, they have inner turmoil. You know, what, you know what happens to someone with inner turmoil when they're at war with themselves? Anybody close to them will get hurt as, as victims of collateral damage when you're around someone at war with themselves. Illustrate it this way. If I was up here just flailing around and swinging my arms wildly and kicking at everything and everybody, and you came up and said, man, I love you, and you tried to hug me, I'd smack you and kick you, not because I'm mad at you, just because I'm flailing around. That's a person at war with themselves. <laughs> there's no peace. So if there's no peace in here, there ain't gonna be no peace out there. Are you kidding me? If you're flailing around and you're swinging at everybody, you're gonna, get, you're gonna hit, and you know who you hit? You hit the people closest to you. Someone said, home is the place you go when you're tired of being nice to people. <laughs> Isn't that terrible? <laughs> Isn't that sad? You know why we laugh? Because it's true. You ever find yourself being nice to everybody? Hey, how are you doing? You walk in the door and you kick the cat halfway across the room. <laughs> you dog cuss that dog. You're not nice to anybody in the house. You know, if you're not careful, that's what happens because you're not at peace with you. You try to be a people pleaser and you get home and you realize you've made everybody happy but you. You know what happens when you're, you get into all that? 
You start living your life according to pressure. Pressure. Listen, you'll either live according to the priorities you establish for yourself, or you're gonna live according to the pressure other people puts on you. Somebody's gonna control you. You just better get mad enough to say, I'm gonna be large and in charge of me. Accept yourself. Did you track it? Have you ever accepted God's acceptance of you? Have you ever accepted yourself? It'll empower you to accept others. You won't be intimidated by anybody. <laughs> you won't be afraid of anyone. It's what we call being comfortable in your own skin. Be comfortable in yourself. So it's God's work in me. Secondly, I gotta hurry now. You see something about God's work on me. His work on me. Once he does something in me, he begins to work on me. That's the part you see. That, that, that begins to shape my character. That, that, that shapes my integrity. What he's doing in me is about to be a reflection on, so he does something, he does something on me. He's, he's shaping me, he's pairing me, preparing me for what he wants me to do. And this is important, because as I quoted for you Ephesians 2, 8, 9, where it says, grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves, give to God, not of works that anyone should boast. Verse 10, don't stop reading. Verse 10 says, for we are his workmanship. It's an interesting Greek word. A poema. It literally means, for we are his poem. We're his poem. Did you know God, God is an artist? Did you know your, your, your life, he's writing something special, unique in your life? You're a song, you're a poem? I love artistic people. I wish I was artistic. I, I try to, and I'm not that great, but I love people who, you know, some people are just gifted. They can work with canvas, they can work with stone, they can work with leather, they can work with all kinds of materials, and God's that way. He, uh, we were, years ago, Cindy and I were walking down a beach, and I just noticed all this driftwood that had washed up on the shore. It was everywhere, and I just stepped on it, stepped around it, just going on down the beach. Later on, we're at a little shop, and there are these beautiful works of art made out of driftwood. And by the way, very expensive works of art. And I asked the artist who was there and, and displaying all that she had created, I said, where did you find that? She said, on the beach. And so I said, you know, this certain beach? She goes, yep, same beach. And it hit me, some of the things that I had stepped over, walked past, looked at, and said driftwood, she saw potential. Now being in the line of work I'm in, I naturally thought, there's an illustration in there somewhere. <laughs> How many times have you walked by someone and looked at them and said, driftwood? <laughs> Come on, be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you ever done that? Driftwood. They're a little, you know, you just do that thing. I want you to meet my new boyfriend. You go, mm. driftwood. I ain't seeing it. Maybe there's some potential, but I, uh, mm. can I tell you, God never looked at anybody and said, driftwood. <laughs> we walk by people, we step over them, we avoid them sometimes because we don't see the potential they possess. But let me tell you something, God never does that. He doesn't just see what I am, he sees what I could be. He sees, why? He's an artist. We, we are his poema, we are his poem. <laughs> he's shaping us and carving us and painting on us and writing and he's doing some things in, on us. He, he's, he's, he's getting us ready, he's preparing us for the third reality and that's his work through me. So, so he's, he's done something in me, he's doing something on me so that ultimately he, he can do something through me. What's my responsibility? Just stay focused on him. 
I love this verse when Jesus challenged the disciples in Matthew chapter four and verse 19. You remember what he said? Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You know what their job was to do? Follow him. What's God's job? Make them. <laughs> Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Follow me, I'll make you. I'll ma I, I, I'm gonna change what you were going for. I'm gonna change your vision. I'm gonna change your outlook. If you'll keep following me, I'll keep making you. Follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. So the big takeaway from the message this morning is to realize God's doing something in my life. I wanna just keep following him. And as I stay focused on him, he'll continue to do a process in me. I've told you before, it's not really your five-year plan that's important. Your five-month, five-week, even your five-day plan, it's your five-minute plan. Someone said, by the yard, life is hard. You heard this? By the inch, it's a cinch. It's your five-minute plan. That's why he said, give us this day our, what kind of bread? Our daily bread, right? Most of us want to go in like, you know, like preppers or hoarders. We want to get a whole bunch. He said, that's not how you and I are going to roll. I'm going to get you what you need to get you through your day. I'm going to give you daily bread. That's why in the 119th Psalm, he said, this Bible is a word, is a light into my feet and a lamp into my path. Just, just take the next step. Follow me. I'll make you. You know, you can run yourself crazy sometimes worrying about the future. I get caught in that every now and then. You ever feel sorry for yourself? I do. I look at myself in the mirror sometimes and I want to cry. You ever felt that moment? <laughs> I look at myself sometimes and say, I wish I could get that big boy up in my lap and hug him. I'm talking about myself now. <laughs> Looked right at a big guy when I said that. And he's like, oh. <laughs> not you, brother. I love you, man, but not like that. I just feel sorry for myself sometimes, don't you? And we all get preoccupied because our thinking gets a little warped and we start worrying about things we shouldn't worry about. When Jesus said, uh, sufficient unto the day is the evil of thereof, don't, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Remember, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount. What, Matthew, somewhere. <laughs> he was talking to people about not being too concerned about the future because that's in his hands. Our job is not to worry about that. Our job is to follow him. How's it gonna work out? I don't know. Is it gonna be hard? Might. Is it gonna be something that you, you cry about? Maybe. But my job is not to know that. My job is just to follow him. And as I follow him, he, he'll make me what I'm supposed to be. You see how that works? For those whom he foreknew, those he predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. I hope one day when I step into his presence, I'll hear him say, well done. He won't say good and perfect servant. I guarantee you that. <laughs> and he ain't gonna say about you either, so don't feel so hot about yourself. Because <laughs> I've told you before, I don't believe everything I've ever said. But here's what he's gonna say, I pray. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. My job is to be faithful, just keep following him. Imperfectly, sometimes, Sometimes it's two steps forward and three steps back. Just keep pushing ahead. Sometimes all you may be able to do is put one foot in front of the other, but that's okay, keep doing that. Just get up tomorrow and do what you're supposed to do. And you know what, if you'll do that on Monday, Tuesday, you'll take care of itself. Follow me, he said, I'll make you fishers of men. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word that is practical and powerful, that it never returns void. We always can get something out of it. And I pray uh, this morning we'll take away something that will help us be more effective in loving other people 
and accepting who we are. I pray our church will be more effective. I pray for my friends this morning who are still struggling and may not have ever come to terms with their faith. I pray, Lord, at some point, even this morning, even watching online, they may be able to say, Lord, I choose you, I receive you, I believe you. For the rest of us, Lord, that have stepped through that threshold and we're still trying to connect the dots, I pray you'll give us the, the grace and the faith to keep putting one foot in front of the other, keep trusting you. And Lord, I pray as we leave this place that we'll be effective this week. Help us to realize people aren't driftwood. Help us not to walk by them and look at them that way. Help us to see as you see the potential that they possess. Help us to realize our life may be the only Bible someone ever reads, the only glimpse of Jesus someone may ever have is what they see in us. So help us to see people as you see them. For those, Lord, who need someone to encourage them and pray for them before they go, I pray now they'll find their way here at the front, let one of our guys here spend a minute, and just pray for them and encourage them. I pray in just a few moments as we prepare to ordain Dallas, I pray you'll bless that time. Thank you for those who will stay and be a part of that service. I pray you'll bless he and his wife and his precious kids. What a blessing and a treasure that they are to our church, how much value they add. And Lord, we just praise you for Jesus. With all that I am and all that I know about me, I trust all you are and all that I know about you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much for tuning in today with us. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us so that we can follow up with you this week by visiting metchurch.com. We look forward to seeing you again next week.